What's up, guys? This is Danny Langloss, and you're listening to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Please hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Consider giving us a rating or review so we can keep growing and help more people. Thank you. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today I'm joined by Dan Pontefract, the founder and CEO of the Pontefract Group. Today, we're going to be talking about key strategies from his book, Lead, Care, Win, How to Become a Leader Who Matters. If you're in leadership, I'm not sure there's anybody out there who wants to be a leader who doesn't matter. We're in for a real treat today. A renowned speaker, Dan has presented at four different TED events, also writes for Forbes and Harvard Business Review. He's an adjunct professor at the University of Victoria Gustafson School of Business. He's garnered more than 20 industry awards over his career. Absolutely amazing. Previously, he served as the Chief Envisioner and Chief Learning Officer at TELUS, which is a Canadian telecommunications company. Check this out. Revenues of 14 billion, 50,000 global employees. He launched the Transformation Office, the TELUS MBA, the TELUS Leadership Philosophy, all award-winning initiatives that dramatically helped to increase the company's employee engagement to record levels of nearly 90%. Absolutely phenomenal. Dan, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Danny, what a treat. Thank you for the invite. Uh, The intro is nice, but my favorite award was in 2013. I was voted dad of the year, but it might have been biased from uh, my three goats and children, but uh, another story. Thank you for having me. Love it. No, thanks. Thanks for joining us. You're an incredible guy. Our listeners are in for a real treat today. Uh, the, the intro is a nice and a kind intro, but it, it doesn't even bring to life the expert that Dan is and the th- incredible, incredible things that he's doing. Uh, one of the things from your book, Dan, I bought your book, Lead Care Win. I bought your book, uh, The Purpose Effect. I'm still working through both of them. Um, but on the front of the book, Lead Care Win, it says, if you want to win, you have to care. Talk about the inspiration for that. <laughs> inspiration. Well, uh, I suppose both the good and the bad of humanity uh, was the inspiration. I had previously written uh, three books, one delving into corporate culture, one delving into purpose, as you mentioned, and one into sort of our frenetic, distracted, discombobulated view of how we're operating as human beings in the organizations and, and to a degree in life. And I, I sort of was trying to piece together, well, why isn't corporate culture changing for the for the better, really, in, in most parts? Why is, you know, employee engagement stuck at these kind of 30, 30-ish percent levels? Uh, why, why aren't organizations and people sort of acting and, and, and behaving with a sense of purpose, a higher sense of meaning? Like, what's, what's getting in the way? And, and then, but the flip side, of course, is the good of humanity. There are countless examples of, of people and the people who make up the organizations, whether at the you know, entry level, frontline, mid-market, mid-level, or you know, at the senior levels of the organization that are doing good. And, and so I just kind of thought to myself, well, I'm a recovering chief learning officer. 
Uh, I've put together all kinds of leadership development programs for frontline, for mid-managers, uh, individual contributors, and senior leaders. What's what is what's the deal? What what could I do to help if I if I can even posit that I could help? And so, long-windedly, I said, you know what? There there are lessons I've learned as a leader that's running, you know, teams of 150 people, budgets of 30 million. But then, you know, that notion of having to help or wanting to help, I should probably say, leaders and individual contributors in organizations like SAP, like TELUS, like I, I kind of have this experience. So I thought to myself, all right, to help corporate culture change, to help purpose, to help thinking, and to help maybe leaders and individuals become better versions of themselves, maybe I should just write what I call a field guide. And the field guide was Lead Care Win, not a book. Because although I get it, it's bound, there's, there's pages, it's a book, but it's, it's not. Because I didn't even call the nine chapters chapters. They're actually called lessons. And the nine lessons that make up Lead Care Win really ask you from a field guide perspective, what am I doing right now? Uh, what could I be doing differently? Like, are you, what's that gap analysis? And here are some tips and tricks and techniques that Good old Dan, that crazy bald Canadian up north of the 49th parallel, has observed in his time of 25 years of being a CLO, being a this, being a that, but also weaving together all the good of humanity and leaders and organizations that are doing it well. And I didn't want to write a 90,000 word book again, done that, been there, three of those. I wanted to write a practical field guide. So this you know, manual, this field guide is 37,000 words nine short punchy lessons it really pokes you in the eye because it asks you not just do you care hence the middle word and the lead care win title but what are you doing from an existential introspective philosophical perspective leading yourself to be a better person and if you're in a position of leading others what are you doing right now well and not so well to lead others to the higher ground to that higher purpose to that calling and obviously to get objectives accomplished in the organization that asks you to do so. So long-windedly, that's where it came from, my friend. No, I love that. And it, it gives it gives a little deeper dive and look, because this isn't, you know, just from research, right? That this is you 25 years plus experience in, in the field, in leadership, working for some big time companies. And there are things that you learned along the way. And I know you're, you're a research guy as well, and you balance things with the research. But, but that's what I mean when I tell the, the listeners we're in for a real treat today because th this is somebody who's been there, who's done that. And that is the one thing that, that I found interesting. And for, for those watching on, on YouTube, you can see I'm holding the book up. Um, yeah. but, but the whole idea of, of lessons, not, not chapters. And the relatability of that, so 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 easy to read. So let's let's kind of dive into some of these lessons learned um, on on and how do we become leaders who matter? What are some of the key aspects and takeaways? Well, uh, there's a few, and again, one thing I want to be clear about is it's not called lead, hug, win. You know, I'm not suggesting that we go around with just you know hugs and say, oh, that's how you become a better leader. In fact, the, the lessons are the balance between how we do need to obviously care a little more. So, you know, venues and aspects such as empathy, 
putting yourself not just in the shoes of someone, but asking yourself, what are they thinking? What are they feeling? And what can I do about it? That's truly empathy. Uh, are you a listener? Uh, so many leaders tend to think that because they've got the title that they've got to talk the most. And I, in the book, I, you know, the, I actually point out that listen, listen is an anagram for silent. Mix the letters around and listen becomes silent. So what are you doing as a leader to be silent, to have your ear to the ground and at times your heart to the ground to listen and feel and think about what people are listening, feeling and thinking. And, and again, the balance part is, I, I'm, I know I, I've run budgets of $30 million. I've been in these companies that make billions of dollars that are publicly traded in New York and NASDAQ and Toronto and London and so in Frankfurt. So I get the whole machinations of the corporate for-profit world, particularly publicly traded companies. So I get the quarterly review. I get the setting of targets. I get what happens when EBITDA isn't met. And, and as a leader with that kind of vantage point, I can put myself in the shoes of leaders who feel that pressure, you know, the commoditization of leadership in so much as we throw out the caring bits because we have to go get stuff done, right? Dan, we have to meet the target. We have to meet the quarterly review. The analysts are gonna kill us. Our stock's gonna get tanked. Dan, like that's what, no. I, I, I'm saying that there's a balance between the hugging, again, I'm kind of making fun of myself there, and the getting stuff done. And that this kind of equilibrium seems to be in disequilibrium at times. We've got too many sort of HR leaders who all they want to do is hug. And we've got too many, you know, corporate leaders who think that all they got to do is, is draw blood from a stone and, and push their people to the brink of exhaustion and stress and et cetera. It's this, we've got to be able to, to have both. We can, we can care and empathize and be kind and listen and all those great, I think, benevolent sort of characteristics of leadership. But we also have to, you know, command clarity. We have to, um, you know, involve people in ideas and strategy, but we have to make a decision as a leader. And it, it may not be the fair outcome that everyone wants, but it's a fair process in which that we've gone through. So again, I, I tend to go tangential, so I apologize. If I'm a leader and I'm looking at myself, it, I'm asking myself, I can't be too far on the kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the dogma of it's all about hugs and kisses. And I can't be too far on the other side, which is it's all about driving people to the point of anxiety. It's We've got a business to run. What might we do to inculcate a culture that is open and transparent, yet still knowing we've got to achieve the targets? That's the balanced approach of lead care win. And so I'll play it back to you differently uh, before the next uh, question and where we go. Sometimes people say, well, wh why'd you call it lead care win? Isn't win antithetical to a caring type of leadership? Well, it's kind of the point. If, if you as a leader want to win, you got to win two ways. You got to win in the business. So whether that's revenue, whether that's meeting the deadlines of a project, maybe you're a coder in a team that's building out games, whatever it is, you want to win because you got to meet those targets. But then the flip side of that type of winning is, well, how do you win? You win with people. So if you want to win both the objectives and the hearts and minds of your people, you need to care. 
In order to care, you got to care about not only the target and the, the end point, but you got to care about the people in the path and through the path towards achieving that goal. That's leadership. So lead care win is actually like all my book titles. I sort of have these play on words. It's reverse. Want to win? Care about the two sides. And that's called leadership. Wow. So many, so many incredible takeaways. I was taking some notes and writing some things down as you were talking. The, the first huge takeaway is that focus on leading self. You're, you're asking a lot of questions, right? Through this field guide, through these lessons, seeing where the gaps are and then sharing strategies and such that are proven strategies that have worked for you and that you've seen work for, for other people. Then I hear something really important in what I'm calling, and, and it isn't my terminology of referred to as modern leadership. The idea that we've got to lead the whole person and that all begins with caring about the whole person. We, we can't expect people to, to come to work and, and be one person here and then leave and be a, because what, what's happened in their personal life walks through your doors and you want to minimize that as much as possible. But what happens at work walks out your doors and the impact there. And then the other thing that, that I'm hearing you talk about is this concept of what's more important, people or results. And in what I've found, is that if you take care of your people, you never have to worry about the results. And people that that don't take care of their people and push results and are micromanaging and down people's throats and short deadlines and could care less what's going on in their lives, that might drive short-term results, but you're going to end up having a company of very average people because all of your great people are going to leave and go somewhere else that treats them right. So those are some of the takeaways as you're talking about all those things that really resonated with, with me. When we, when we used to fly, Danny, and if you were like me, you flew a lot, and sometimes, you know, you run into a little bit of issue in turbulence, and if it was really bad uh, to the point where, the, you know, the oxygen mask came down, the flight attendants first say what? They say, make sure that you take care of yourself first before you take care of the person beside you, i.e. if you have a child. And this is not parental, uh, it's not a parental book, but there's so much you can uh, take from the act of parenting to a degree to your leadership. So, you know, I've got three goats as we affectionately call them. They're uh, 17, 15 and 13. They're actually people, but we call them goats. And, and, and Denise and I, as we're raising the kids, you know, and have been for years, we've always had to uh, remind ourselves that if we're not cool, <laughs> if we're not uh, healthy, if we're stressed and anxious, who wears that? The goats, the children, Claire, Cole, and Kate. Now, I loved what you're saying because when we're thinking about, you know, uh, my parenting skills, flip it around. If if I'm going to work and I was this collegial, awesome, copacetically funny, collaborative, but, you know, had to get stuff done guy, and I came home and I was an utter arse all day to my kids you know, child services would show up potentially and say, uh, that's not how you're supposed to be parenting. Stop being a jerk. Why are you hitting them or ridiculing them? Or why are you making them sit outside for dinner when you're inside? Like just the nutty stuff that I'm obviously hypothetically making up, right? Now, when we flip that around to the workplace, why is it, to your, to your credit and point, Danny, that many leaders think they got to put on a Teflon suit, right? That nothing sticks to them, that they can't be that harmonious kind of uh, uh, woman or man uh, at the home that they are at the in, into the workplace. 
it just boggles my mind. And so again, you know, to care, one of the things I'm trying to get at is where's your own humaneness? Are you bringing that to work? You know, that sense of humanity, you know, you, you make mistakes. I make mistakes every day and I want to be a called out upon it, but also let both my family and my, my family at work know that, yeah, I've, I've, I made a horrible mistake here. Call it out on me as well. Like I'm open to your feedback. And I guess that's the thing. It's like, it's not just actual people who are leading teams now, Danny, it's those that are up and coming who want to lead teams whom they're, the example that they're learning from are these leaders who tend to, again, it's not all, but who tend to think that the best way in which to lead is to be a different version of themselves or to be almost inhumane in the way that they do it, that they don't make mistakes, that they have all the answers, that they don't want to be approached, and so on and so forth. Give me an example. So uh, one of my favorite heroes these days is the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern. And Ardern, uh, even before she was sort of, quote, famous, one of the things that I glommed onto during her first term as prime minister, she's been recently reelected uh, as prime minister again of New Zealand, was that she's like, yeah, I, I'm going to get pregnant. She gets pregnant during the prime ministership, has the baby. It is like bringing baby to like, you know, press conferences and, you know, trips with around New Zealand. I'm like, this is exactly it. Like, bring your full self and real self. When the pandemic hit, you know, fast forward three years later, when the pandemic hit in April of 2020, Ardern's at a press conference and, and she's speaking now to the children of New Zealand. And she said, look, I just want you to know that I am thinking about you. I've had, I've had a talk with... Uh, the Tooth Fairy, and the Easter Bunny. And even though we're in lockdown right now, I've had special negotiations that they're going to be allowed to come into your homes now. And they're going to give you Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies. And also the Tooth Fairy is going to pick up your teeth now and leave some coins. So just know that I've got your back and that you know I've been thinking about you. That's the prime minister of a country of 5.6 million people. So you're not, not you, Danny, but you, the leader out there, you've got a team of 20, 30, maybe you've got, you know, maybe you've got a division of 500 people. So what are you doing to create that camaraderie, that inclusivity, that diversity, that empathy, but knowing you still got a country to run? <laughs> you know, it's 5.6 5 million people counting on you. So how can you do that balance again is, is where I'm going. And how can you still be a real person in doing it? Yeah, absolutely. There, 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 there isn't a choice. I've worked for a lot of leaders who felt like, okay, now I got to put on this hat and, and they're afraid to be taken advantage of. They think they've got to have this bright line in a relationship. A lot of them suffer from imposter syndrome and they're worried about being figured out. They're intimidated by especially the, the rising stars within their company and, and, and they're just getting it, they're getting it all wrong. And I hear a lot of complaints these days about the millennials, and I'm sure you know Gen Z is going to be falling right behind there. And and the fact is, I believe you know, and, and argue with me on this. I'd love that, uh, and you'll probably be right. But but I believe that it's not the millennials necessarily that are the problem. It's the fact that we can't have power and control, lazy, do as I tell you leadership. I don't care about you. I'm looking for this result. 
right? They're, they're not going to stand for it. They're not going to put up for it. A good portion of Gen Z won't put up for it. And, and so I don't know is the, whenever there's a problem, people are quick to, to point across the table, right? And, and people are very slow to look inward first. And one of the things your book does a great job of is look inward first. But one of our things in our leadership team is whenever there's a problem, we got to ask that question, what part of the problem am I? And until we eliminate ourselves from that part of the problem, we, we don't have the right or any business addressing anybody else and what that is. And, you know, I, I think what leaders got to understand is, is people respect humility. People respect vulnerability. Um, you know, one of the times, one of the best compliments I'd gotten uh, is there was some conversation about something and I feel like I'm a very caring leader, but one of my staff said to somebody, said, hey, don't mistake kindness for weakness. Like he's a kind guy, but, but great leaders understand how to care and how to be kind and compassionate, but also how to hold those lines of, of accountability. You know, one of the things we talk about is creating a, a, a relaxed environment where the expectations are high and accountability certain, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, we're, we're, we're having fun. We've got a team, a family type environment, but our commitment to excellence isn't something we put up on a wall. It's something we're going to accomplish and we're there to support each other in this environment to do that. And, and those are just a lot of the things I hear as you're talking about this. And, and when you talk about the, the prime minister, um, if you want to create a culture and an environment of people who care, of people who are empathetic, of people who display humanity and humility, there's no better way to do it than as the top leader to display those things each and every day. So powerful. And and that's where, uh, sadly, you know, the, the hammer falls, both on the good and the bad. So on the bad, so many examples, right, where, you know, um, it coming from the top and the coming from the top is, you know, that, oh, I'm not going to be too open or, you know, you don't know where the leader goes. They've just disappeared for three days. They haven't answered texts or emails. You know, they didn't show up to the meetings and they're just like, they've ghosted you. You're like, what the, what is happening here? What, what, where did you go? Like, I need you. I need you more than ever. Uh, and, and it just, you know, what, what struck with me and your, your points and so salient and, 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 and to me credible, Danny, is, is again, back to that clarity. You, you, you can be a leader um, whom, again, is affectionate, if you will, that's um, copacetically kind and open. And, and again, it's good. And we need more of those. But if you don't balance that, again, with the where are we going? How are we getting there? How can you help us? What's your role responsibility? Uh, here's, here's my decision matrix. Let's share it. Uh, here's our team norms. How are we going to communicate? How are we going to collaborate? Like the context often is also missing for some of those leaders. So again, you got, a, it's a balancing act. That's what leadership is, what I'm trying to get at here. And mm-hmm. if you're, you know, not involving the team, et cetera, bad, right? If you're, if you're ghosting them, bad. Um, but where are you and your, your own kind of uh, two by two matrix and finding the sweet spot, if you will, between, you know, action and reflection? And, and you, or even, you know, um, you know, uh, clarity and engagement, if you will, whatever your X and Y axes are, I don't care, but just put something together and say, well, self-reflecting me, what, where am I? And where's the team? And are we, are we not there or do we need to do more? You know what I find if you're in a position as a leader where 
let's say you're a director or a VP and you have a, a larger sub team. So you have a team and then you get below the team, like the you know units below that. I find skip level reviews often tell you what it's like. So when you have skip level review sessions, right? With the next layer leader or, or team members even, and you sort of say, what do you guys really think about either me or what do you think about how we're operating things here? How, and what, you, what I find at least when those happen is you get the real deal of how, how clear you are or how open you are or that balancing act. And in fact, often it's not. And often it's not yet. Yeah, the, the really understanding how things are going, being perceived, being impacted, boots on the ground. Yes. It's so important. And that what happens is the disconnect and the bigger the organization. And I'm sure you've seen it in organizations that you've worked in or organizations that you work with now. Um, th th there's a disconnect there and that you can't have enough communication and, and, and making sure that you're intentionally seeking out that because, you know, Ron, Ron Carucci is a mutual friend of ours. Um, Love the Ron. Love He's the Ron. an amazing guy. Big shout out to Ron. But, but, but he said he, he just, I think he, he, the way he was talking about, it, he just laughs when he talks to somebody say, we don't have any issues here. You know, nobody's come and said anything, <laughs> you know? And he's like, if you're sitting back and waiting for somebody to come let you know, when there's an issue, you got a big problem. And if you're somebody who hasn't heard that there's an issue or a problem or a challenge for the past few months, then you were completely disconnected because that's just not even human nature. You know, that's just that's not the, even, uh, you know, it's the, it's the head in the sand metaphor. It's the, oh, I've heard no evil, see no evil. Obviously there's no evil around here theory. It's just, it's tragic what it is. It is. It is. So let's dive into a couple of lessons. I'm going to kind of just, I'm going to list them off so the listeners can hear them. And, you know, obviously we can't cover the, the entire thing in a, in a, in a podcast. We've already had so much great information, but I'm going to kind of go through them. And maybe if you want to pick up on a couple of them, um, and we can talk about those over the next 10 minutes or so. Um, so first one, be relatable. Number two, play for meaning. Number three, stay present. Number four, remain curious. Number five, embrace change. Oh, that dirty C word. Uh, then it's dare to shine, command clarity, commit to balance and champion others. Champion others. One of my favorite, favorite things to do. So, within those, you want to walk us through a couple of those or however you want to do it? Well, uh, let's say that the, the lessons themselves were in no particular order, even though I call it lesson one, lesson five, lesson nine, just they needed some sort of order. Uh, and really one of the ones I'll bring out right now, I think is kind of where we were, we were going. And, and that, that is, um, you know, what's the fault of why leaders aren't caring or aren't clear or aren't participating, aren't collaborative? And, and one of them is that third lesson, stay present. So when you're, you know, not present <laughs> as a leader, you know, you're, uh, you're sort of, it's, it's, it's high crimes and misdemeanors of management, basically. So what do I mean by that? Well, how often does a one-on-one -on -one meeting occur when the leader is either called out or answers the text or answers the phone in the middle of the one-on-one? -on -one? Oh. That's not being present or staying oh. present for, right, for the individual. When the team meeting is happening, and similarly, if the leader uh, disembarks, if you will, from the meeting, 
What, what does the team feel like when the leader is either summoned out, doesn't have the courage to push back to whomever that may be and say, no, I'm in the middle of something very important um, and, and so on, right? Th- those are just two examples. When you start thinking about um, not providing feedback, uh, not providing that mentorship, not being present for the development of that team member. When the leader is not calculating, actually, you know, the, the, the multiplication models of capacity versus efficiency versus productivity, i.e., does the leader have any idea how often the team is in meetings, how fruitful or nefariously wrong are those meetings, uh, are there meetings to prepare for the meetings and then the post-meeting meeting because the boss was there? So four meetings for one. The, the list goes on. When, when leaders aren't aware of how time is being spent, when they don't know how efficient the team is, not to be the big brother or big sister micromanager, but just the absolute clueless unawareness of, of how the team is operating and spending their time is another example of not being present or not staying present as the lesson suggests. So, you know, if the, if the leader doesn't know how much bureaucracy is in the way, if the leader doesn't know how long it's taking for decisions to be made, because then that's getting in the way of the team doing their best work. Guess what? They, they have no idea how the actual culture is operating. So when you're staying present as a leader, you're there to observe, to audit, to make sure you know how much time is being spent or not. And you're there also from a one-on-one, one-on-team perspective in the moment, staring into their eyes, being present for those interactions and not being distracted by you know a a red little sticky mark on your phone that says you've got a new message or someone liked your you know painting that you put on Instagram about cats and dogs fighting on a piano. <laughs> it is it is incredible how distractible we really are. But when we're not present, especially in some of the examples that you gave when we're face to face with somebody, you just tell them you're not important to me. I don't respect you. Hmm. Like I don't I don't have time for this. Right. That's and, and that, that's a major problem, and that is the opposite of caring. <laughs> and and I, I don't know, and that's a great thing I think about, you know, conversations like these and, and this kind of development is I think a lot of times people go through on autopilot. They don't give it a lot of thought. They don't put themselves in the position of what the other people need. They're not real. They don't have high levels of EQ. And that's why I think it's so great about these things. So somebody listening is going, you know what? I do that. That that tells the person I don't care about them. They're not valuable. They're they're not important. They're not worth my time. That's not what I, you know. And, and a lot of times I think that that's what happens, right? And we've got to focus, be present, tone the other things out. You you went through a whole list there. That was that was great. So what's another one you want to dive into? So stay present. Lesson three. Where you want to uh, go next? Yeah, we've got time for two more. Let's look at embrace change, which uh, is lesson five, and and. Where I'm coming from this is many leaders, when they get into that leadership role or have been in a leadership role for a while, sort of stand on the laurels of their past and and say, well, no, this is this is how I learned it. This is how we're going to do it. And what they're not doing is remembering that uh, in order to be the most effective leader in the day, it is to be the most uh, up to date, um, aware leader 
whom obviously then has to embrace the change of the day. Because as the old adage goes, and you know this better than anyone, Danny, what got you here is not going to get you there. So things like, you know, very simple practical techniques, like are you reframing your thinking? So just because you went down one path, does it mean you have to go down another? Um, because you went down one path, should you continue on that path? So a good example, I guess, in the US uh, would be BlackRock. BlackRock is one of the world's largest shadow banks. It invests, I think it's seven and a half trillion dollars in people's money. And Larry Fink, its CEO, was for a whole time going after, you know, shareholder return, just the normal way in which investment banks and investors work and, and so forth, hedge funds. And one day he kind of like said, eh, actually, no, this isn't going to work long term. I know what got us here for BlackRock, but it's not going to get us, quote, there. And, and they've had a complete 180. You know, Fink every January puts out essentially the letter to shareholders that says, uh, we got to be taking care of the planet or purpose first is the only way in which to operate. Uh, we're not going to invest in anything that's going to degrade the planet anymore, like a complete 180. So to embrace change with a guy who's investing seven and a half trillion dollars in people's money, uh, that is a pretty incredible example of how to embrace change and not just do what we've always been doing because it's not going to get us there. Um, I like using the SOS as another example, Danny. So SOS is often the cry for help whether it's the Titanic or, you know, Houston, we have a problem from Apollo 13, right? Those are in crises. So what if you were to uh, not get into a crisis and call SOS proactively? Well, that's just simply asking for help. To embrace change is to look around and say, hey, what do you got? What, can you help us? Like, do you have any ideas? And again, a leader is humble. I love to use the word of vulnerable when they, they say to the team, I don't know everything. We're a team. So could you help us get to the next point as opposed to being me? I know, I know I got my boss and my boss's boss and they're looking at me. I know the buck stops with me, but I'm asking you. Now, how about this, Danny? Why don't you even go outside of your team? Be vulnerable to other teams and say, you know what, we're working on some over here, but we don't have all the ideas. I know you did that presentation for us last year. Pretty good. Could we could put our heads together and maybe we could come up with something to, quote, embrace the change? It, it, again, it's sort of this, this, this notion that we get stuck in our laurels and that because we're the leader, because we got to where we are, that we need to stick to that way and that thus we shouldn't embrace a change. It almost drives me as bananas as the other eight lessons. <laughs> yeah. No, I, the, the embracing the change. And it's funny because for, for me, I, I, we, we talk a lot about and creating a culture of leadership, creating cultures of change where we are excited and always looking for change. We talk about commitment to excellence. Excellence isn't a destination. It's a place we can visit from time to time. There's always a better way. Uh, and as you say, you're, all, you're moving forward or you're moving backward. So this embracing change is all about progressive thinking, innovation, creativity, you know, seeing, you know, what having vision, seeing what's around the corner, being able to shift, pivot and adapt. But then it's also, and this is too much for this conversation, understanding change management and change leadership, which would be a whole podcast topic um, <laughs> as, as we move, as we move to, to create that change. Love, love that, that embracing change. How do we get 1% better every day? And you can't do it without, without growth and growth is, is change, right? 
Yeah. I'm gonna take us through one more. What's one more that uh, you wanna you wanna dive one, into? One that I know you strongly believe in uh, wholeheartedly, given your work and your background and your your tenure, uh, and that's um, lesson eight is commit to balance. And when you when you commit to balance, you're actually asking yourself as a leader, uh, am I good enough and is this team good enough for today's day and age in preparation for tomorrow's requirements? And what I mean by that is um, not just you know, taking a, a DNI course or an EDI course, equity, diversity, and inclusion, um, and saying, oh yeah, now I, know, now I know a little more about that. Well, no, I'm actually talking about what, what's your plan to diversify your team, the what of your team? And maybe you're a CEO or a C-suite. So the what of your organization, are, like I do with my investment portfolio, I don't have one stock. That would be stupid. Like it'd be like, you know, financial suicide. Denise would whack me and say, why did you put all our money in one stock? What, what happened to you? Briex, Dan? Briex? Like in that tank? Didn't you lose all our money? Well, similarly, why aren't we diversifying our thought and our team? So what is the composition of your team? Might take you some time to diversify. It can't be an overnight sensation. But if you're not calling it out and saying, I want and I should get us to diversify the portfolio of our team members, well, that's step one. Number two, of course, then is um, without even kind of thinking about the diversification, you can be more inclusive. You can be inclusive by what? By opening up the opinion of where you should be going, what you should be doing, how you might get to point B from point A through the diversity of thought. And that's the inclusivity. That doesn't have to be just in your team. That could be you going outside of your team, outside of your org to be much more inclusive, which as you know all too well, that's the how. So I really want leaders to think when you are committing to balance, you are uh, re-engineering your what and, and staking you know, in the ground, the table stakes of how you're going to get there and the how of what, how am I going to differentiate my opinion? Is it always going to be the same way? Am I going to reach out to you know, LGBTQ groups or First Nation Indigenous groups or uh, people of color, like wherever it is, if you're not being more inclusive in your thought patterns, how on earth are you ever going to then change the way in which either your team operates or what it's supposed to do. I mean, it was only 20, 25 years ago, you know, that Crayola had pencil crayons and crayons called flesh and Indian red. So we still have some of that thinking and it's a metaphor, of course, right? We, right. we, need, to, we need to diversify and be more inclusive in our thinking of how and what we're doing as teams. So if we can commit to balance, and there's other ones I could talk about, but those are kind of the two most important and near and dear to my heart, and I know yours. When you are a leader who's committing to balance, you're caring. You're caring about both your team and what the outcome is and how people view you and what it is that you're there to achieve. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's uh, the commitment to balance, diversity, and inclusion. You know, it, 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 not, it, it should be enough that it's the right, humane, and just thing to do to treat and include people regardless of race, gender, religion, all, the, all those things that you talked about. But what it brings to an organization, when, when you see the research out there, the most talented people want to work for diverse and inclusive companies. When I'm doing a, a two-part series right now on gender equality in the workplace, when 
the research out there from Women in the Workplace 2020 is that when you have leadership teams, top leadership teams made up of at least 50% women, they, they outperform teams that don't uh, by, by 50%. And it, it's just phenomenal. So the, the results, but yeah, this balance is so, so, so important. Dan, as, as we wrap up today, uh, first of all, thank you so much for, for taking the time. You're a busy guy. You're doing incredible things. Is there a call to action or a final thought you want to leave our listeners with? I think one of the things I'd love listeners and, and readers and leaders and individual contributors to think about is, you know, what's your calling? And, and, and again, it might sound so esoteric or existential or philosophical, but if you don't know why either you're in a leadership role or why you want to go into a leadership role, then you haven't really defined your calling yet. And so calling to me is synonymous with meaning. It's synonymous with purpose. So have you declared your calling, declared your meaning, declared your purpose? Do you have a one or two line uh, sentence that depicts your calling, that depicts your purpose? Have you declared it? And if you have, great. You know, there's wonderful examples out there. Mine is as follows, Danny. We're not here to see through each other. We're here to see each other through. So that has defined me since 1998. That informs my decisions as a leader, as a husband, as a dad, as a friend, as a son, as a brother, uh, as a community uh, contributor. And so I just, I want what's best for you because I know in some weird way, in a boomerang quid pro quo way, it'll come back. And I might come back and I pay it forward, say it forward. I scratch yours, you scratch mine. We're getting, we're all in this together. Um, but that's my declaration. So for listeners, readers, and otherwise, what's your calling? What's your meaning? What's your declaration of purpose? Write something down, one or two line pithy statement that then you could share with your team. Memorize it. And then use that as a mantra. And I just guarantee you that's one step towards being a more caring leader. Love that. Incredible, incredible call to action. Why we lead directly translates into how we lead. And, and getting, getting to the core of that. When I do leadership classes, presentations, keynotes, one of the first things I ask, if it's especially a leadership topic, is why do you lead? What calls you to lead? And getting really clear on that is going to be important because it's going to translate directly into how you lead. Uh, again, talking to Dan Pontefract, uh, Dan, best-selling author, numerous books, TEDx speaker. We've talked about his history uh, and, and his experience. What an incredible blend of 25 years in the trenches, leadership experience, some major massive companies, um, and, and then now helping leaders grow helping them reach their full potential so their teams can reach their full potential. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. Danny, honestly, the pleasure is more mine than yours. Uh, thank you for what you do. Uh, there are many, many listeners out there that look to you for that kind of shining beacon hope of light, and you provide that in so many different facets and ways. And so thank you for what you do, Danny. Now that I really appreciate that, especially from, from coming from somebody like you. So in the podcast description and then on, on LinkedIn all week when we release this podcast, which will be within a few weeks of recording it, uh, there'll, there'll be uh, a link to connect with Dan on LinkedIn, a link to his website, other social sites, 
uh, direct link to the book if you want to check it out, Lead, Care, Win, uh, Dan's other books as well, The Purpose Effect. I'm getting ready to, to dive into that. So definitely connect with, follow Dan. He's doing amazing, amazing work. His TED Talks are out on YouTube. Um, so, so we'll make sure to, to link those things. Uh, you know, we're talking about lead care, win, how to become a leader who matters. And it really does begin with caring. And if you, if you don't care, there's no way we can lead the whole person. There's no way we can be introspective and, and look at ourselves. There's no way we can embrace these lessons about being rela relatable, playing for meaning, staying present, right? Uh, remaining curious, embracing change, you know, being a champion for others, so many other great lessons, but that champion for others really sticks uh, with me as well. To our listeners, thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Consider leaving us a rating or review that really helps us reach more people organically. Um, really, really think about Dan's call to action. What is your calling? What is your purpose? Take it, bring that down to a sentence or two, live by it, walk, walk the talk. And remember, always be committed to excellence.